Welcome to the Mackenzie and Motherhood podcast. From labor to lullabies, I'm your nurse friend through it all. Growing, having, and raising a baby is super overwhelming, and let's just try to simplify it. Join us as we dive into diverse birth stories and feeding journeys of real parents. Learn valuable tips and tricks from me, a labor and delivery and postpartum nurse, and a fellow mom. My goal is to help you find your power through knowledge and support as we embrace the joys and challenges of motherhood together. Friendly reminder, the information presented is for educational purposes only and not medical advice. See mckenzieonmotherhood.com slash disclaimer for more details. Hey guys, my name is Mackenzie, and I'm the host of this Mackenzie on Motherhood podcast. I am a labor and delivery and postpartum nurse. I've been doing this for seven years. I work night shift at the hospital, um, and I'm a fellow mom. I've got two boys. I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old, so lots of energy in my household. I am so excited to be starting this podcast. Um, My goal for this podcast is I want to bring on diverse people who can share their birth stories, but also their feeding journeys. And then, of course, I will have, you know, one-off episodes where it's just me giving you deeper information on topics such as labor and birth and postpartum, babies, all of that jazz. In this first episode, I'm excited to shine a spotlight on a topic that's close to my heart, which is feeding journeys. While the world of birth stories has many platforms, and I mean, I'm a labor and delivery nurse, you know I love a good birth story. I want to know every single detail about your birth. But I've noticed a gap when it comes to these stories, and it's infant feeding stories. We always hear birth stories, but we don't hear about the challenges and triumphs of your infant feeding journey. And I think it's hard to share your feeding journey, especially if it didn't go the way you planned. Um, It's such a deeply personal experience and every single journey is, is as unique as the parents and the baby involved. Whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, there are challenges, there are triumphs, there are so many feelings and I feel like we kind of keep that to ourselves because of course, you know, there's the whole shame and judgment world of parenting that you don't want to say something and then have someone else judge you for it. But I think it's so important to hear everyone's stories and hear how there's such a wide range of how to feed your baby and a wide range of challenges that you might not expect to go through. And then you go through them and you realize, oh, hey, this person also had the same challenges as me, so I'm not alone. So this episode is going to be about my breastfeeding journey about both my boys. My first one, I had to use a nipple shield. He lost a lot of weight. Um, I had mastitis, an oversupply. My second one, he had a tongue, lip, and cheek tie. So that resulted in a very hard, very hard couple months. All right, guys. So let's dig in. So my first baby, um, side note. I've got flat nips, guys, okay? I have flat nipples. And I was really worried about breastfeeding because I was like, what the heck is baby even going to grab onto? Um, I was labor and delivery and postpartum nurse while pregnant with my first. So I've seen thousands of nipples, all shapes and sizes and colors. So I knew that my nipples were flat. Um, so I give birth to baby and he actually latched on right away. Of course, he nursed great in the hospital. And I only stayed about 24 hours in the hospital, and then I went home. So then the next day, I go to the pediatrician for a checkup and a weight check, and baby has lost weight. We expect them to lose weight, and it's normal for them to lose up to 10% of their birth weight. That's considered normal. 
So his first weight check, he lost about 8% of his birth weight, which is in within normal range. So that's okay. But they said, uh, it's getting up there. Make sure that you wake up baby and feed him every three hours. So that's what I did. However, he was such a sleepy baby. It was really hard to wake him up enough that he wanted to eat and to keep him awake during the feedings. I remember getting him like down to the diaper, changing a diaper, not even, even if it wasn't, even if it was clean, just like wiping him with cold wipes, trying to get him awake, scratching his head, scratching his feet. I was doing everything to keep him awake for feedings. And it was also hard because I have flat nipples to latch a baby who's not super interested onto a nipple that's like totally flat. I had a nipple shield in his nursery just in case I needed it. And so I used that one night and it worked really well. He latched on, he ha- he stayed sucking and I was like, this is great. I'm just going to keep using a nipple shield. However, I felt really, really guilty about using a nipple shield because at the time, the lactation consultant that worked in the hospital that I worked at, she was super, super against nipple shields. Nipple shields are like this like polarized topic I feel like in the lactation community and please correct me like email me if I'm wrong about this but I feel like some lactation consultants are very against nipple shields and some lactation consultants are very pro nipple shields um so at the time I was taught that nipple shields are really bad so I literally remember like crying and feeling guilty about using a nipple shield and my pediatrician actually told me Mackenzie if this is how we can get your baby to eat and breastfeed, then use the nipple shield. Like, this is how it's working. So why are you feeling guilty? If without it, it wouldn't be working as well. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. You know, in my postpartum days, I couldn't think logically. So we go in for a second weight check and he's above 10%. He's lost a pound of weight and we need to start supplementing. So I start triple feeding, which is I breastfeed and then I pump after and whatever I pump, I give that to baby plus formula. Whatever person can triple feed for weeks, oh my gosh, I salute you queen because I, it was the death of me trying to do all that because it takes so long that when you're doing this every three hours, you only get like a 30 minute 30 minute and an hour break before you have to start the whole process all over because it takes, you know, 45 minutes to nurse baby and then 30 minutes to pump and then feeding baby through a bottle and they're already probably sleepy. So you're kind of force feeding them the bottle. Oh my gosh, it took forever. I remember setting my alarm every three hours to wake him up and get him undressed, really try to wake him up to breastfeed him and then pump and then give him formula. It was just emotionally and physically exhausting. At the time, I felt really frustrated and really disappointed in my body because I'm taught and tell my patients in the hospital, oh, your mature milk supply will come in around two to five days postpartum. And here I am day six and my baby's losing weight and I'm supplementing and why is my milk supply not coming in? It basically took a full week for my full milk supply to come in and then I got engorged and I was able to produce a lot more ounces and then he started gaining weight and I didn't have to supplement anymore. I didn't have to pump anymore Um, and he was back up to his birth weight by day 15 of life and it's what we want to see is baby back up to their birth weight or beyond by two weeks of life 
Looking back, however, I think that breastfeeding and pumping after for so long kind of created an oversupply for me. And an oversupply is exactly as it sounds. It's a oversupply of breast milk. Your body is making way more milk than your baby really needs. And hey, oversupply, that sounds amazing. Wouldn't everyone want one? No. Oversupply is it's a blessing and a curse. It is physically taxing to have such an oversupply. You get engorged all the time. It's painful. You're leaking breast milk, leaking through your shirts. You are at a much higher risk of getting clogged ducts and that turning into mastitis, which can be a breast infection and inflammation. It is not fun. And I felt like with an oversupply, all I did, most of my thoughts were literally consumed by when does he eat, need to eat next? Oh my gosh, I'm really engorged. I, I need him to eat to empty me. Um, it's not a fun, it's not fun to have an oversupply. I did nurse with a nipple shield for about, I can't honestly remember. I want to say about one to two months is how we nursed with a nipple shield And um, around one month, I would try to latch him on without the shield. And sometimes he'd get it right away and I'd be like, great. And then another time we'd try and he still needed that shield. So I would just try every feeding to not use it at first. And um, eventually he got more used to it and more used to it. And then we just completely weaned off the nipple shield. I went on to breastfeed him for two years and it was a great journey. Um, I really enjoyed breastfeeding and as much as I say I really enjoyed breastfeeding while I just complained about it, um, it's a love-hate relationship breastfeeding is, you know. I think it's amazing um, to like see your body create this milk for your baby, but it's also kind of amazing to look back and say, wow, I went through a lot of challenges and a lot of hard times and we kind of, you know, persevered through it. So I get pregnant with my second baby and that's actually when I wean my first um, because he only breastfed like once a day before bed, but and I got pregnant and it literally felt like shards of glass coming out of my nipples when he would nurse when I was pregnant just due to like the breast sensitivity. So I just called it quits. He never really asked for milk again and that was just the end of our journey. So I get pregnant with my second and I'm thinking, hey, I just nursed a baby for two years straight. This is going to be a cakewalk. Well, my second son decided to be born with a tongue tie, lip tie, and cheek tie, and that caused some problems. The second time around, my milk came in around day two or three, so I had no weight loss issues like I did with my first baby, and he latched on right away. I think breastfeeding for two years pulled my nipples out enough that they weren't as flat anymore, and I did not need a nipple shield. So right away, I was able to latch him well. He latched great. The only thing that I noticed was that the latch was kind of painful. And any way I tried to redo it, it was always a little bit painful at first. But I was thinking, you know what? My nipples have to just get used to it. It'll, the sensitivity will die, die down after a week or two. And it just never really did. And then I started noticing that he was making this clicking sound when he was latched on. He would suck a little bit and then basically lose suction on the breast and it would be this big clicking sound. Um, I also noticed that, so when you want, when a baby latches onto the breast, you want both the upper lip and lower lip to be flanged out, kind of like duck lips. Um, His upper lip never flanged out. It always curled back in and I would have to physically like 
move his upper lip out so that he could get a better latch. I noticed he would do that on my boob and if I gave him a bottle. The other thing that I just thought was really weird is he never got milk drunk. Like he would be really, really fussy and burping a bunch and have hiccups after feeding. And I'm used to and what should happen is you nurse a baby or baby gets fed a bottle and they drift off right to sleep, especially newborns. They get fed, they're full, and they go right to sleep. Not my little boy. He would fall asleep and then five minutes later he would just be screaming and arching his back and so uncomfortable. I of course brought this up to the pediatrician and my pediatrician, this was a new pediatrician at the time, she told me, oh, well, it's just reflux and it gets worse before it gets better and there's nothing really that we can do about it. And it's just babies are fussy after they eat. That's normal. Red flag. Guys, don't let a healthcare worker ever tell you that it's normal for a baby to be fussy after they eat. That's not normal. They should be content and relaxed and have a full tummy. My pediatrician told me, oh, he's gaining weight, so he's fine. So at the time, I just like went with her advice, which looking back, how silly it was of me to just accept her advice because he was just so uncomfortable after eating and I just knew something was wrong. So finally, um, I called the lactation consultant who worked at the hospital that I gave birth at and I talked to her about how he's making this clicking sound when he eats and he's always fussy after eating. Oh, the other thing was I noticed that my nipples were purple. I had a spot on my nipple that was a dark, dark purple. And the the purple nipple is actually what made me think, okay, I think the pediatrician's wrong and something bigger is happening. And so that's when I called the lactation consultant. She told me over the phone, it sounded like it could be an oral restriction, meaning some kind of membrane tissue in his mouth is restricting a good latch. Um, So she sent me a list of providers in my area who um, I can go to to get assessed if baby had a tongue or lip tie. The list was a bunch of ear, nose, and throat doctors and pediatric dentists. So I just chose the first person off the list who was a pediatric dentist and went and saw her. And she diagnosed my son with a level four lip tie, which is the like worst kind of lip tie, and then a level three tongue tie. The clinic that I went to was a really great collaborative clinic, and they had speech and language pathologist who assessed the baby as well. A speech language pathologist told me that he just had kind of a lower tone muscle function in his mouth, and he needed to just like build up his muscles in his mouth. So I actually ended up seeing the speech language pathologist for four weeks before I was cleared to have him have his tongue and lip clipped. So she did things with um, like kind of like suck training and different massages that I was supposed to do to like massage different parts of his cheeks and gums and stuff to, I don't know, like promote like a better suction. I'm not a speech language pathologist, but when she was explaining it to me, it made sense. And so we did all of those exercises and then he had his tongue and lip lasered. So the laser like cut the tissue in between his, you know, his lip was adhered to the gum and then his tongue was, had a membrane adhered to the bottom of his 
mouth. Um, so, and then while they were doing that, they also found a cheek tie. So they cut that as well. So then after that, then I still continued to see the speech therapist um, to do more suck training. Um, now that he has this brand new mouth, we need to like train his suck to be better and more efficient. Also, you have to do stretching of the scab and wound um, after you have that clipped. And it was, guys, it was the grossest thing ever because it's like a wet wound. So it's like white and gross. And you literally had to take your fingers and rub their upper lip where exactly on that wound was. And you had to rub the butt, like in between their tongue and rub on that wound because, you know, wet wounds want to heal back to how it was so you had to like rub the wound every three hours so that the tissues wouldn't grow back together and you know risk having it re re adhered and you have to get it recut that was a really 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 tough three months it was um we didn't i didn't get the tongue tie diagnosed until he was about eight weeks old and then it was another four weeks until they cleared us. And then we got that done. And then it was six weeks of these stretches. It was a lot. And it took about a month to help and for me to see the effects of it. Um, but then he no longer clicked. He kept his suction at the breast and all of his reflux symptoms went away. Once we got that figured out, it's been smooth sailing ever since. However, I do have an oversupply again this time. And so I have struggled with mastitis as well. Again, I've had it three times in the last year. So that's not fun. Um, however, I'm still nursing him. He's 13 months old and we're still going at it. Um, I really, really enjoy my breastfeeding relationship. It's really nice to be the one who makes milk and can supply this awesome liquid to my baby that just like makes them magically grow. It's pretty wild. Um, and yeah, plus as they get older and they get, they want to move around much more and they don't snuggle with you as much. It's nice to just like have that snuggle time when you're feeding them. So yeah, so that is my breastfeeding journey with both my boys. So I hope you learned something or my story made you feel a little less alone. Thank you so much for joining me on this first episode of the Mackenzie on Motherhood podcast. I can't wait to share more diverse stories with you and help empower you with knowledge and provide a space where your journey can be celebrated and validated here. If you have a feeding journey or your birth story that you'd like to share, go to mackenzieonmotherhood.com slash storytime and fill out a brief form and I will reach out to you via email. Remember, every feeding journey is valid and together we want to bring power back to these stories and embrace the incredible ways that we as mothers, fathers, parents can nurture our children. Until next time, take care and remember that you are doing an amazing job and I'm really proud of you and you're a remarkable human being. Bye guys. I'd love you forever if you hit that subscribe button and share this podcast with all of your friends. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at mackenzie.on.motherhood or check out my website mackenzieonmotherhood.com. I've got some great free resources for you guys like a birth plan and a postpartum checklist. And then, of course, if you want to be on the podcast, head over to my website and submit your story. 
And final reminder, the views and opinions expressed on the McKenzie on Motherhood podcast are for informational purposes only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views expressed are my own opinions, and for more detailed information, visit mckenzieonmotherhood.com slash disclaimer.